Thank you, ladies. I want to ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As we are just a couple of weeks away from finishing up, walking through the entire Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and I hope that you're excited about being able to not say excited about wrapping it up, but excited to be able to see the conclusion of what Jesus has been teaching and to see what Jesus is calling us to because when we get to chapter 7, Jesus has preached his sermon and now he's calling for a response. He's calling for application to what he's already taught. He does that in chapter 7 by focusing on the theme of judgment that is to come. And to talk about the fact that there are only two ways that people can respond. You can either respond in faith towards Jesus or you can respond in rejection of him. And he's been doing that by several illustrations and applications dealing with twos. So this morning we come to another one that after Jesus has talked about two different types of trees and two different types of gates and two different types of paths, now Jesus comes to do two different types of declarations that people can make. Two different types of declarations. And this morning in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, we are going to be dealing with what may be some of the scariest verses in the Bible. So there is a very somber note to these words that Jesus is saying. And so we want to handle them with great seriousness this morning. I'm going to ask you, if you have a copy of God's Word and are physically able to stand with me this morning as we read these verses, and that you might join me as we ask God to help us this morning to respond to His truth. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Heavenly Father, we need your help this morning. We need you to teach us. We need you to take your word and mold and shape us to look more like Jesus. Help us to respond in faith this morning. Help us to respond uh, recognizing that Jesus is the only hope that we have. And Lord, I pray that as we study, we would fight sin, hate sin, kill sin, and Father, pursue you. That we would seek after righteousness. We would kingdom above all. We ask all of this so that we might make Jesus known, not only in our community, but in this world, so that you might receive more praise and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. I have two points this morning. Yay. The reason why I only have two points is because this sermon or this application that Jesus is making is very clear. It is very clear and it's also very serious. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a teacher, pastor, theologian said, in his opinion, this, these words of Jesus are the most solemn words ever uttered in this world. It is serious business 
when Jesus lays out for us the concerning fact that there will be many people who believe they are Christians will arrive to stand in front of Jesus expecting to hear, well done. Instead, they will hear, I don't know you. Depart from me. I don't know about you, but it doesn't get much more serious than that. And so what God's word, I believe what God is doing for us this morning in these verses is not necessarily to make every one of you rededicate your life again because you're so scared that you don't believe in Jesus. I mean, you should wrestle with this, but my intent is not to make every person in the room concerned that you're not a Christian. But it is to make every single one of us in the room honestly examine our hearts to talk about why we do what we do and what matters more than anything. And I want to remind you that Jesus was talking ultimately and addressing ultimately the scribes and the Pharisees who were around him who thought that because they came from the right family, because they were born to the right parents, because they belonged to the right people, that they were automatically part of God's family. And just so you know, we can be guilty of the exact same thing. We can be guilty often of thinking that because we come from a Christian family or because we went to church or because we walked an aisle or because we do religious stuff that that automatically makes us part of God's family. Here are the somber words of Jesus for us this morning there are two declarations made, and only one of them matters. So what I, don't know, what I want to show you in the outset of these verses is, number one, we cannot enter the kingdom of God by relying only on right belief or right behavior. I will say that another time. We cannot enter the kingdom of God by relying only on right belief or right behavior. Jesus says in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some will. Some will call him Lord. And they will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some will call Jesus Lord and will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that simply saying the right words is not enough. Just because you can speak like a Christian, just because you know Christian words and you know the lingo and you know how to talk like a Christian does not mean you are automatically a Christian. Remember, the Pharisees and the scribes believed they knew how to talk the right way. They knew the right words to say and they knew the right order to say them in. But we're told, in fact, here in verse 21 that not everyone who says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So think about that. 
Is Jesus the Lord? Is he the master? Is he the owner of everything? The answer is yes. So are these people saying the wrong thing? No, they're saying exactly what one would expect to have someone say who believed in God. But the problem is some who recognize the greatness of Jesus, that recognize Jesus' deity, that not all of them who proclaim with their mouths that Jesus is the Lord are automatically in the kingdom of God. Because what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is to be in the presence of God, correct? That's what it means to be in God's kingdom. It means to dwell, to be in the presence of the king of the kingdom. But just so you know, saying Christian words doesn't make you part of that kingdom. Using Christian phrases and sounding like a Christian with the words you use doesn't mean you are automatically part of this kingdom. If so, then Jesus would have said here that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's what we're confronted with. Right belief and right confession are not enough for you to be in the kingdom of God. If you relied on that, Jesus says there are many who will say to him, Lord, Lord, and they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what this means is that we're not guaranteed entrance into God's presence because we sound like a Christian or because we believe right things about Jesus. It's more than that. And to rely on that alone is self-deception. It is to believe you're right with God when in fact you may not be. So Jesus here is bluntly warning people that there will be some who say the right Christian things and believe right things about Jesus, but will not be with God. Does that concern any of you? Remember, what has he been talking about? In the verses before this, he talked about false prophets who said they spoke for God. Well, what about the people those false prophets influence? What about the people who follow after them? Guess what they might believe? If you just say Jesus is Lord, then you're good. If you just believe right things, then you're good. But there's a problem with that according to Jesus because not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's more than right confession. It's more than right Christian words that make us right with God. In fact, Jesus alludes to this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, when he tells us the whole point of the sermon he gave was to point out that if you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Guess what? The Pharisees and the scribes, they knew the right words to say. They knew the right things to believe. But guess what? It wasn't 
enough because it doesn't make you automatically a Christian. That means there will be people who you live, work around, or maybe even go to church with who will sound like a Christian. What they say will sound right, but it doesn't mean they are necessarily saved. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who does? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, this isn't talking about God's mysterious will that, or his sovereign will that we cannot know. The will he's talking about must be one that we can know and do. Because he says, unless you do the will of the Father who is in heaven, that is how. We are in the kingdom of God. That is how one is part of God's kingdom. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the commands that God has made upon his people of how they are going to live. We see this in chapter 5, verse 19. We see it in chapter 7. In fact, we see it throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying his people live differently. His people live differently than even the Pharisees and the scribes. Well, what makes them different? What makes a Christian's doing different than a scribe or a Pharisee's doing? Well, that's because a Christian's doing is necessarily tied to belief and trust and union with Jesus. Let me help you this morning. We cannot truly do what God has called us as Christians to do unless we are trusting and clinging to Jesus for salvation. The difference between the scribes and the Pharisees and Jesus' people is they are clinging to salvation in Christ. And as such, they live that trust and belief. So what he's getting at here is, the reason why he says in verse 21 that many will say to him, Lord, Lord, but will not enter the kingdom of heaven is because there will be many who sound like a Christian, act like a Christian, but guess what they're not doing? They're not believing in Jesus for rescue from their sin. See what I'm getting at? So simply saying the right words is not enough because you can save them but not be trusting in Jesus. You understand what I'm getting at? Remember Jesus talked about two types of trees and you kind of can't tell the difference until fruit starts coming out? That's because there's many trees that look like Christians and sound like Christians, but guess what? Their fruit will expose the fact that they are not Christians. Not only for the false prophets he's talking about, but also think about the people that they're leading astray. Remember, this is a blurring of the roads, the narrow and the broad. And what Jesus says here is that the only way we can enter the kingdom of heaven is through him. In fact, I believe Jesus has said something like that, hasn't he? John chapter 10, he tells the sheep that there's only one gate. There's only one door. And he's the door. See, the difference is, let me, if you ever want to write something down, write this down. Religiosity is empty. Religiosity is empty. Simply doing right things or saying 
doing right things does not mean you're trusting in Jesus for rescue from your Anybody uncomfortable with this yet? Because what this means is in church, throughout the world, this is going to be true. There are going to be pockets of people who look like Christians, sound like Christians, but aren't trusting in Jesus for salvation. And notice what Jesus says. He says, on that day... Verse 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? So after they've appealed to right confession, they call him Lord, Lord, but that isn't enough. Now guess what they start appealing to? Right behavior, right action. Because he says on that day there will be many who say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things in your name? Well, what does it mean to do something in Jesus' name? It means to do it with his authority, with his power, that you're acting as a representative of his. And here they are relying on their own abilities and goodness to make them right with God and to be a part of his family. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, that bothers me. Remember on the two paths he talked about? How many, how many people find the narrow path through the narrow gate that leads to life? He says few. How many find the broad gate that leads to the broad path that leads to death? Many. Folks, what this means is there is a lot of self-deception happening of people who think they're right with God because they say the right things or do the right things. And what matters more than anything is who they're trusting in. And we can be really poor determiners of whether we are on the right path or not. Jesus says many are on this path that leads to destruction. Few find the narrow gate and the narrow road that leads to life. And Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, what day is he talking about? I believe he's talking about the day of judgment when we stand before Jesus. And he says, on that day, what will they appeal to? Did we not prophesy? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do mighty works in your name? On that day, Jesus, the ultimate judge, will know the difference between who is truly trusting in him and who isn't. He cannot be deceived. He cannot be manipulated. He is the ultimate judge we stand before, and Jesus knows our hearts. So we may say to him, Lord, Lord. We may do the right things. We may actually see big miracles happen around us. There may be people who are ministerially successful who don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the only hope they have from their sin. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. They will declare the same thing we see in verse 21. They'll, they'll be emphatic about the fact that they've been doing these in Jesus' name. They looked right. They did looked right. And their appeal to their goodness implies that there's going to be an affirmation. Did we not 
prophesy in your name? The implied answer is yes, they did. Did they not cast out demons? The implied answer is yes, they did. Did they not do many works in your name? The implied answer is yes, they did many works. But right behavior does not necessarily equate to salvation. What is Jesus presenting to us? Jesus is laying out before us religious people. They say the right things, they do the right things, and yet they find themselves remaining under the judgment of God. This is really uncomfortable, and I hope you're not sitting here this morning going, man, I'm glad my neighbor is here to hear this. Because every single one of us has to ask ourselves, are we relying on our religiosity to rescue us? Are we trying to say the right things or do the right things to make people think that we're right with God? But right behavior does not necessarily equate to salvation. In fact, Jesus warns about this later when he talks about the end times and he says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Jesus said there would be people who looked right, who sounded right, and yet they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what we find out in these first two verses is we cannot enter the kingdom of God by relying only on right belief or right behavior. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? Well, that's number two. We enter the kingdom of God through union with Jesus. That is what matters. Jesus said, Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So Jesus says, while they're declaring one thing, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things for you? While they're declaring that, Jesus says, I will declare to them. So just so you know, which declaration matters? We got two of them. We got what the people are declaring, and we got what Jesus declares. And just so you know, what Jesus declares is right. So while they may be declaring one thing, Jesus says, I declare to them, and this, by the way, is public. He says, where people can see and hear, I will declare to them, I never knew you. So people who are religious and look right and sound right, Jesus says there will be many who he says to them, I never knew you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living your life, showing up and standing in front of Jesus on that day, expecting to hear him say, well done, and instead hear him say, I don't know you. Don't say, well, we knew you. But he says, I don't know you. So which one is more important? Which one matters more? Well, I would say to you this morning, what matters more than anything is not the right words you say, not the right deeds you do. What matters more than anything is that Jesus knows you. You and I need Jesus to know us. 
because if he doesn't know us, depart from me. Jesus says, you can't be with me. That's a scary thing to hear. Jesus, who has been immensely loving and merciful and gracious, looks upon people who think they're right with him. And he says, depart. There is a separation. We can't be with him. And if we can't be with Jesus, then we're not part of the kingdom of God. Remember, the Pharisees and the scribes, they assumed they were automatically in the family of God regardless of what they believed about Jesus. What Jesus is telling us is the only thing that matters is are you in union with him? Does he know you or does he not? And Jesus talks about this stuff in other places. I already mentioned John chapter 10. He does it there. When he talks about how he is the good shepherd and, and he knows his sheep, he tells us in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. What marks you being one of Jesus' sheep is he knows you. And that doesn't just mean he's aware of you. To know you, Jesus is saying he is personally united with you. You are in union with him. And so what we need more than anything is to be in union with Jesus that we would be known by him. And this was promised even back in the Old Testament. Nahum chapter 1 verse 7. Nahum prophesying said, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. There was something about God knowing you, being known by him. We see it later on. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, when Paul writes and he says, But God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. See, there's no way we can dupe God. There's no way we can manipulate him. He knows who belongs to him. He knows the difference between good trees and bad trees. Why? Because he knows the heart of every person. And this should terrify us apart from Jesus. To know that God knows who we are. And he knows everything we've done. He knows the depths of our sin. What brings joy in the midst of this is to know that that same God also rescues lost people, and redeems them from the depths of their sin. What we need is not more religiosity of you saying the right things or looking the right way. What we need this morning is to know Jesus and to know that he knows us right back. That we are known by Christ in union with him. Because Jesus rightly knows who are truly his. Jesus can tell the difference between empty words and behavior and true devotion to him. And then notice what Jesus says, in case you worried about him sugarcoating it anymore. He says in verse 23, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He calls them lawbreakers. Not just once, but repeatedly. So the problem is, Jesus can tell the difference between those who are truly trusting in him 
and those who are actually lawless ones who are dressing themselves up to look like Christians. Remember he talked about wolves in sheep's clothing? Well, guess what those prophets produce? Followers who look like sheep but are actually wolves. This is hard because there are a lot of people who have spent their whole life in church and the idea that you could be a part of a church, you could belong to a church, you could do churchy things, the idea that someone could do that for years upon years and still not be saved doesn't seem right to us. It seems hard to believe. That's where we have to realize how deceived we can be. So as we wrap up, here's what I want you to think. Listen, this is serious. I'm, I'm sorry there's no like real woohoo in this. I'm sorry this is hard to swallow. This is tough teaching. But what I want you to see this morning as we wrap it up is I want you to see that we can easily deceive ourselves. We can be deceived by others and we can easily deceive ourselves into thinking that because we look the part or do right things, that we are automatically in Jesus, that we belong to God. We must realize how easily we can be deceived. And we also must realize how desperately we need new hearts. What you and I need are new hearts. Listen, folks, our message at Fairhaven for all of us, is not do better and try harder. Our message to you is believe in Jesus, trust in him alone for rescue, be born again through the blood of Christ shed for you, not trusting in your ability to clean up your own life, but trusting in the only one who actually can cleanse you from your sin and give you a new heart that loves him. Stop trying to look like a Christian and trust in Jesus. See, what Jesus is pointing us to is that as God's people, we must walk carefully, we must examine ourselves. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, when he petitions the church and he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Paul calls Christians to examine themselves, to really honestly ask ourselves, who are we trusting in? Are we trusting in Jesus or are we trusting in our own goodness? And as a Christian, realize that our obedience to Jesus does not make us right with God. Our obedience to Jesus is because he's made us right with God. Our fruit flows from the fact that we've been changed. Good fruit doesn't make us good trees. Good trees make good fruit. What we need is Jesus to change our hearts. And if he has, if you've been rescued by Jesus, right, if you've been transformed by him, you've turned away from sin and you've trusted in Christ as the only hope for salvation, then examine yourself constantly. 
Look at your life and ask yourself why you do what you do. Do you say the right things and do the right things because you love Jesus supremely? Or do we do them in the hopes that God will owe us something? I hate to break it to you. i got to examine my heart about that. Because there's times I start thinking again, well, if I do the right thing, then God's got to do something for me. Instead of realizing that the fruit that flows is because we've been rescued, not because we want to get something out of Jesus. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, and you may need to do some examining through that, here's what I would ask you. Don't trust in your religiosity. Don't try to look like a Christian. Don't simply try to clean up your act. Don't try to fool yourself. Don't try to make yourself right with God. Instead, plead with Jesus to rescue you from the depths of your sin, give you a new heart, cause you to be born again, so that you might live as a true follower of Jesus, knowing you've been rescued, knowing that when you stand before God, you will not hear, depart from me, but you will hear the welcoming cry of Jesus to dwell with him forever. I would urge you to stop trying to clean up your own life and trust in Jesus who can wash you thoroughly from all your sin. What does that mean for us as believers then? If you're a Christian, beware of false appearances. Just because someone sounds right and looks right doesn't necessarily mean they are right with God. And again, what I would encourage Christians with is just as I talked about unbelievers not, not trusting in their religiosity, guess what, Christians? Same thing. Don't trust in your religious activity to make you right with God. Trust in Jesus alone. We as Christians live lives of devotion to Jesus because he rescued us first. But we do need to examine our hearts. We do need to ask ourselves why we do what we do why we live the way we do. Is it because we are devoted to Jesus or is it because we're trying to earn something? And let us remember as a church, we are ultimately not trying to clean people's lives. Hear me out. As a church, we are not ultimately trying to clean up people's lives. We're not here to simply try to make you look better or to sound better. That is legalism. What we petition you this morning to do is to trust in Christ alone. And when you have, live out of devotion for him and walk in righteousness. God does want to clean up your life. But he does it on his terms and by his power, not by ours. And so this morning... We need to truly ask ourselves, are we devoted to him or are we seeking to be our own rescuers? Listen, we can easily be self-deceived. We can easily think we're right when in fact we aren't. So I'm not here this morning to make everyone question their faith in Jesus. 
But I am asking you this morning to examine, do you truly believe and trust in the fact that Jesus took your place on the cross? That the sin that you had committed before God, that you deserve death for, do you really believe that the only way you can be rescued from the penalty that you owe is because Jesus took it for you and you're going to rely on his work, not your own? Is that true for you? If it is, I'm so glad. And don't we have reason to celebrate this morning that we've been redeemed from all of our sin. Now guess what we do? We respond in devotion to Jesus and we live every day for his glory. We do the right things and we say the right things not to be right with God but because Jesus has already made us right with him. But this morning, as you examine your heart, If you realize that you have not been trusting in what Jesus did for you, but you're ultimately clinging to what you can do for yourself by your own goodness, I'm going to urge you. I'm going to plead with you. And I don't care how many years you've been in church. I don't care how many times you've walked an aisle. I don't care how many Sunday school classes you've taught or how many classes you've been to. I don't care how much money you've given. I'm going to plead with you this morning to trust in Jesus alone. To recognize the depths of your sin and to believe in him as your savior. This is hard. I'd much rather teach about the good things and the happy things. But Jesus is blatantly warning us this morning to be careful That we're not fooled by appearances, but that we seek to honor him out of hearts that have been changed by Christ. This morning, as I pray, there are only two responses you can make this morning. One, you can reject Jesus. You can try to rescue yourself. You can try to clean up your own life. You will find nothing but emptiness and futility But that's one response. Or you can respond in trust to Jesus to not only save you from your sin, but to make you walk in likeness of him. That everything we do might be for his glory and honor. This morning, you need to respond one way or the other. My urging to you is respond in faith to Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, I don't know the hearts of everybody in here. Some of us have been in church our whole lives. Some of us have been in church for a short time. And God, ultimately, we know that there are a lot of people who might look right, might sound right, but you warn us that they might not necessarily be right with you. And so, Father, this morning what I'm asking is that you would, by your Spirit's work, Show us, show us, expose our hearts. Help us to see whether we're trusting in our own goodness or trusting in Jesus. Father, make that abundantly clear to us. Father, show us the emptiness of religiosity. Help us to see that good things can ultimately not make us right with you. And so, Father, we ask you to Expose our hearts before you and help us to respond in faith to Jesus. 
Father, whether it's the first time or whether as your people we are once again clinging to your son, Father, help us to see that he's the one who grants entrance into your presence. Jesus alone is the one who is the door, who is the gate. Jesus alone is the way by which we're part of your kingdom. And Father, we want to be part of your kingdom supremely. So Father, help us expose sin, help us to repent of it, help us to live in glory for you, God. Help us to seek after what you would want. And Father, may our lives of devotion give you praise. Not that we were able to clean ourselves up, but that our devotion is based in the fact that you have already washed us clean by your blood. Father, these are scary verses. God, I assume everybody in this room wants to be a part of your kingdom. But Father, help us this morning to see we cannot enter in but through Jesus. Stir up our hearts for him. Help us to trust him alone. Father, we ask you to do all of this so that you might receive true worship from us. You might receive true glory. God, thank you for exposing us by your word. Thank you for showing us where we can so easily be deceived. Father, help us to examine our hearts and to follow after you. Oh Lord, wash us clean by the blood of Christ and help us to walk in righteousness. God, this morning we desire your kingdom above all. May we seek it in everything we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.